0: You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Roy Partridge and his oldest granddaughter, Jasmine Bose Partridge. Roy has taught and also advocated on issues relating to race at Bowdoin College for 28 years. He's an Episcopal priest and a social worker. Jasmine, who was graduating from high school this year in Ann Arbor, Michigan, has also advocated on issues of racism and other issues. We are talking about race from each of their perspectives, 56 years apart in age. Both Roy and Jasmine are persons of color. I have known Roy for many years. Uh, Roy, uh, can you... Tell me where you were born and uh, we'll start there.
1: Sure. I was born in Tuskegee, Alabama, on the campus of Tuskegee Institute, which is now Tuskegee University in 1947.
0: And, and, what, born... and what kind of a college or university is that?
1: Uh, Tuskegee is a an historically black university. Uh,
0: um and uh, what brought your family to um, to Alabama? Uh,
1: my mother, who was born in New Jersey uh, after graduating from Columbia Teachers College, wanted to go uh, teach. And at the time she was unable to find a job in New Jersey at a higher ed- education, uh, well, institution of higher ed, so she went to Alabama to this historically black college founded by Booker T. Washington, and started teaching there. And my father, who was a graduate of Tuskegee, was employed there as well, also teaching at the time.
0: I'm I'm just curious. Um, uh, it would strike me that uh, your grandmother going to. Uh, Columbia Teachers College was um, unusual for a black woman. Am I right about that? Is that?
1: Well, my mother, yes, it was very unusual uh, at that time. There were very few people. Columbia was actually one of the more progressive places. So it probably had a larger number of black graduates than most uh, institutions of higher education that were white at the time.
0: So uh, you, you were in Alabama for approximately your four, four years?
1: I was there three and a half. Yeah. Okay.
0: Almost four um, but uh, did, did you have any awareness of, of racism when you were in Alabama?
1: I did have some awareness. Um, I do remember riding at the back of the bus, uh, in Tuskegee, uh, and Alabama, I guess in general, I uh, once actually wrote an article in the Portland press Herald about, uh, my journey to the back of the bus and riding on it with my parents.
0: Um, and we haven't said this, but, um, just so everybody, um, hearing this understands, uh, you identify as a, uh, Black man, would that be correct?
1: That would be correct. Yes. Okay,
0: um, so how did it affect you? Um, uh,
1: to have well, to sit. Uh, I think at that point in my life, I was more puzzled than anything else as to why. In fact, the articles. Why, mommy? Why do we have to ride at the back of the bus? Um, I just didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. And it probably didn't make any sense to my mother either, having grown up in New Jersey, where she didn't have to do that. So I was probably picking up somewhat on her confusion about the whole thing. Um,
0: and then you uh, you moved to Cranford, New Jersey.
1: Correct. I uh, moved to Cranford uh, by way of Belmar, New Jersey, where I was lived for three years, and um, Cranford was my mother's hometown, so I ended up going to the same elementary school that she did, believe it or not, and lived in the same house that she lived uh, in.
0: Uh, did you? Uh, what kind of a neighborhood did you live in? Was it a uh, interracial neighborhood? Um,
1: well, okay. the neighborhood was uh, the immediate neighborhood I lived in was all white. There was a black neighborhood, there were a couple of those in Cranford uh, at the time, and that was about four blocks away. So on the playground was the great uh, place of racial diversity, which was literally across the street from where I live. So there were black and white people who played regularly on the playground.
0: And did you, um, during your schooling, either in or outside of school, uh, experience, uh, racial bias or racism?
1: Yes, uh, it occurred. It didn't occur with great regularity, but I still can recall very clearly um, an incident when I was in third grade and there was a another third grader who used the N-word to me. <laughs> I was shocked, actually, at the time. I looked at him and I said, what did you say? He looked at me and saw that I was not happy with those words directed at me and he ran away
0: um, any other incidents
1: uh, there were lots of things that we were uncertain about places whether we should be able to attend or not such as the the swimming pool in Cranford uh, which was all white at the time um, but other than that there were no overt examples of racism. Uh, there was clearly segregation socially between whites and blacks in Cranford at that so, time.
0: So um, I, I, I think uh, there may have been an incident where, where you asked a white girl to go to a movie.
1: I did, and uh, her parents uh, refused, <laughs> said that was not a good idea. So how, did, how,
0: how did that affect you?
1: I, it, much like the segregation in Alabama, I was confused because on the surface things appeared to be uh, open, uh, and since her parents belonged to one of the more progressive so- associations at that at that time, uh, I thought that they would be more amenable to that, but apparently not.
0: And uh, so, you know, you, you lived through the Civil Rights Movement, how did it affect you?
1: Well, it was, on the one hand, very welcomed uh, that we were beginning to deal with these issues that uh, had affected my life and the lives of so many Black people in the United States. On the other hand, there was a lot of tension in our society around these issues. I went to Oberlin College and was a part of the protests that took place there both against the vietnam vietnam war and against racism Um, and i remember very clearly in 1968 my junior year at the college um, when martin luther king was killed it was a terrible uh, and a tragedy and an awful time Uh, a lot of misunderstanding uh, around racial issues that were occurring, people not really comprehending what truly racism was about. Even though they knew it was a bad thing, they didn't really understand how it, how deeply it impacted uh, people of color, particularly black people.
0: I, I I certainly remember the moment I heard and uh, not not something. And I can forget. Um, uh, was your mother involved in the movement?
1: My mother was very actively involved in the movement. In fact, she knew all of the principles, including the King family, a family of family Martin Luther King, uh, and was at the March on Washington. In fact, she sat right behind Dr. King as he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech.
0: And... And there wasn't room to have you just sit on <laughs> sit on the floor.
1: I would have loved to have been there, um, but that was not to be my fate. So,
0: come. Um, so, uh, um, I was a few years too young to know about this, but I, uh, my guess is you weren't, um, and that was the just absolutely awful murder of Emmett Till.
1: Yes, uh, that, that was a very devastating moment. I still also remember seeing his picture, uh, the open, open coffin, as you are aware, is that it's a famous picture of him. And seeing it in Jet Magazine when I, I don't remember exactly how old I was at the time, but it was very startling and very uh, upsetting uh to see the disfigured uh face and to understand that the conditions in the south were so terrible at that time and so dangerous for black people
0: and and let me give just a little bit of, of uh more information emmett till uh had was from chicago had a family uh, in mississippi uh went um down and may or may not have said something to a white woman uh, that resulted in uh, the husband and another man, uh, torturing and killing him. And when his body came back to Chicago, his rather extraordinarily remarkable mother said we are having an open casket. Um, And, uh, and then Jet Magazine and other magazines um, included that, some did not. Uh, and uh, it just in terms of, did, did it in some way change or uh, your your sense of how serious or ugly or violent things were?
1: I think it did. I think it had a profound impact on me, which I, I'm still, as you mentioned it today, um, feeling, Uh, It was frightening. Um, I don't remember what the differences in our age were, but not much. And to see that uh, a young person could be treated so horribly, as you already described, was just beyond my imagining. So it it definitely shook me up and still shakes me up, even now, thinking about it.
0: Uh, And unfortunately, for all of us, there have been far too many um, awful events, uh, leading to the death of of black people in this country. And some of that we will come back to.
1: Um, Uh, If I could just intervene. Even this morning, as I listened to the news prior to this to uh, talking to you, there was another black man that was killed. So yes, absolutely by a police officer.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Jasmine, can, can you start by just uh, talking a bit about how you identify yourself and in your family?
2: Yeah, so um, I think above <laughs> all I identify as American um, and then and then also as a black woman and then also as an Indian woman, I think they all Those identities coexist and form me. And
0: and when you say Indian, you're referring to Asian Indian. Yes. So maybe you could just explain um, uh, two things at once. Sort of which parent is is which, and um, and uh, what they do.
2: Like okay, Um, my dad is black, and my mom is from India. And what they do in terms of career. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. My dad's just... a professor at the University of Michigan, and my mom works in the fashion industry. Okay.
0: Uh, and uh, you, you speak German. How how does that come about?
2: My dad does research in Berlin. So from a young age, they've always taken me with them. And when I was, I think, three, they put me in an all German preschool and no one spoke any English. And I love to talk. So I picked it up and I took it
0: yeah, did you say in a couple of weeks
2: yes because I was so little and no one spoke yeah English
0: at all. yeah because I, I, I spent six years in French and I can say hello <laughs> um, uh, and you, you would go back to Germany every so often
2: yeah every summer and then we lived there when I was Um, in preschool and then kindergarten and fifth grade and seventh grade.
0: Um, Did you have any incidents or scary incidents in Germany that related to to race?
2: Yes, when I was young, I don't remember this, but I've been told this story. Um, We were in Hamburg on the way to the airport and there were all these police officers in riot gear. And my mom was asking my dad, like, why are there, why are the police officers wearing riot gear? What's going on? And my dad's like, oh, I forgot this is Germany. And then the police saw us and they made, they were, they like rushed us behind like the staircase and they like surrounded us. And then these trains full of neo-Nazis came, they were soccer fans because there was a soccer game that day. And they came in like train loads, like doing Heil Hitler out of the train windows.
0: How did, how did that affect did you know at that point what who Hitler was?
2: No, I didn't.
0: Okay, uh, but did you? Uh, were you scared, or did it sort of go um, past you?
2: Um, well, I don't remember this happening, but I, I guess like when when my mom told me the story, she you can still tell that she was scared, and the fear still comes across even now when she tells it.
0: And was there? Uh, another time when, uh, because of a risk of neo-Nazis that you didn't get to go someplace?
2: Yeah, um, when I was living there in seventh grade, my friend was having a camping sleepaway birthday party and the area that she was they were going to um, was notorious for having neo-Nazi activity. So I wasn't allowed to go and neither was my Turkish German friend who was invited as well.
0: So, um, when, how old were you when you were aware that race was an issue?
2: Um, I don't remember the exact instance, but I think over time, I began to realize that it like was something that I guess made my experience different than other people's. Like in, I guess probably like around elementary school.
0: And did you have any uh, uh, incidents in in elementary school that um, seemed to be involved, related to race and directed at you?
2: Yeah, I remember there was this girl and she was like, oh, the lines on your hands are brown. Like, that's so gross and, like, weird. And I hadn't even really, like, thought about, like, the lines on my hand. So that was, like...
0: And um, how old were you, Jasmine?
2: I think I was um, maybe six.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry that happened. How how did that affect you?
2: I think I was just angry, um, and I wanted the girl to get in trouble. <laughs> For saying that.
0: And were there any issues with teachers?
2: Uh, yes, um, more as I got older in elementary school. I actually had a lot of black teachers. Um as I got older i w- i guess I was also more aware of people saying problematic things um in one of my history classes. the teacher was talking about the three fifths compromise and how it was the greatest compromise um in american history and so how it can
0: was- can I just stop to you? can you explain what the three fifths compromise was?
2: uh yes, it was so in order to ratify the constitution, the southern or i guess it was about representation in Congress, so to appease the South, it was decided that slaves would, because the Southern states had a lower population of white people than the North did. So it was decided that although they couldn't vote or have any political power, slaves would be counted as three-fifths of a person in order to give the South more representation in Congress. But then it also spoke to how they were, how black people were valued.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a completely Racist and corrupt. Um, here you are, uh, getting more power in Congress um, uh, for people who, um, who, who are the reason for this, have no ability to vote. Um, and uh, uh, when this person, when this teacher talked about that as being something good. Did anybody say anything?
2: No, I think everyone, I don't know about everyone. I was just shocked and taken aback.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of shocked and taken aback just right now. So uh, any other uh, incidents or comments you can, you can think of with, uh, with teachers or students related to, to race?
2: Yeah. Um, I. Well, I guess this. Yeah, I was on a Zoom call recently, and I was talk. I was giving a keynote address, and someone bombed the call, and they called me the N word. They said Jasmine Bose Partridge is a N word.
0: And how did, how did that affect you? Just coming out of nowhere.
2: Um, it was shocking. I've never been called the N word other than that. Um, It was, yeah, I was taken aback, but then I just kept going and I finished my speech.
0: Well, that took a tremendous amount of presence. Um, I've just recently seen a video of a Zoom bomb uh, that's now, um, that was quite awful. And it, Uh, and it stopped everything. And the fact that you were able to go on um, is really having a remarkable amount of of poise. Um, uh, You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates. On WERU, I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Roy Partridge and his oldest granddaughter, Jasmine Bose Partridge. Roy has taught and also advocated on issues relating to race at Bowdoin College for 28 years. He is an Episcopal priest and a social worker. Jasmine, who's graduated from high school this year in Ann Arbor, Michigan, has also advocated on issues of race and other issues. We are talking about race from each of their perspectives 56 years apart in age, both Roy and Jasmine are people of color. Um, So uh, any incidents that you got involved in that did not relate to race, things that were disturbing to you in school?
2: Yes, um, at the beginning of this year, a group of boys were talking or someone took a video of this girl in like over Zoom in class. And then in a group chat, a group of boys were making fun of her because of her weight and making derogatory comments about that. And the someone screenshotted like the group chat that they were talking in and posted it on social media. And so then it became like very public thing. And in response, the administration had those boys make a video on cyberbullying and how cyberbullying was negative but it was never addressed in the video that they had cyberbullied someone and they never apologized. So, I wrote a letter to the administration about how I thought that it was a problematic response because it in a way showed that our school condoned misogyny and cyberbullying. And oh, and also before before they showed the video to the school, they said that our school has a zero tolerance policy for cyberbullying and then they showed the video. And I just said that if, it, if there's a zero tolerance policy, then it should be applied to everyone in all situations. And then after that, a lot of other people also wrote letters to the administration.
0: Uh, did you get a, a warm reception from the administration or?
2: No, I got a very defensive response. And the administrator who wrote back talked about how they had used restorative justice in this situation which I thought was interesting, as they had said, they had a zero tolerance policy. Okay. And that the video um, was a restorative measure.
0: Were you nervous about um, writing this letter?
2: Um, not really, because I was just so upset about what had happened. Um, I don't think I had like time to be nervous. I wrote it like immediately after the video was shown. Yeah.
0: Well, it's both a gutsy and impressive thing that that you did. Um, Roy, can you give um, an example of two of advocacy at Bowdoin that you feel good about or or elsewhere in the other kinds of work you do? Yes.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, I'd be happy to. The example that I thought of first is um, Several years ago at Bowdoin College, we were doing a teach in, and the subject of the teach in, as the faculty that were working on it uh, had determined, was about environmentalism. I thought about it for a while and decided that we needed to add to that uh, topic some comments and thoughts and teaching material about racism as well. And I talked to several of my colleagues. Uh, and they were willing to uh, add on that subject. It took us literally one year to plan the teach-in before it happened.
0: Uh, And and excuse me, this was going to be a teach-in on issues of race?
1: This was a teach-in on both issues of race and issues of environmentalism. Uh, Probably an unusual circumstance to combine those two together. I mean, those are issues that many people are concerned about, but rarely are done together in a a teach-in that uh, included all Bowdoin faculty, staff, and students who wished to be involved. It was a uh, three-day teach-in and classes uh, were held, which included subject matter on both of these topics, uh, as well as we had various symposia that occurred during that time with uh, faculty, students, and staff. Uh, talking about these issues. Some of those can, you know, focus specifically on either racism or environmentalism and some of them on both topics. And... Uh, a... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying it was a great experience for me. Uh, I didn't actually realize it, but I had had on the T-shirt that I wore for that occasion. <laughs> oh, earlier.
0: Yeah. Uh, um... Did you yourself, uh, either in uh, in Bowdoin or because uh, th- throughout this, your time at Bowdoin, you were um, at times uh, uh, acting as a Episcopal priest and um, is that correct?
1: Uh, on rare occasion, I have I have done services at Bowdoin and I've done a a, a memorial service on two occasions, actually.
0: Well, I was Bowdoin. meaning I'm um, not at Bowdoin, but that you, in addition to being um, your work at Bowden, you also were um, at um, at many times uh, working with a congregation.
1: Yes, I worked yeah. with many congregations in in the diocese of Maine, uh, specifically uh, with Saint Anne's in Wyndham and with uh, Trinity in in Portland, and Saint Nick's in Scarborough. Are the So three.
0: can can you think of any any incidents in in Maine where racism where uh, it's Ugly head in trying to or to
1: you. Uh, there were there have been a variety of incidents that have occurred where that has happened. Um, I was for many years chair of the uh, committee against racism for the diocese of Maine, and we uh, dealt with a lot of incidents where we were trying to make our congregations throughout the diocese, more aware of race and the issues of racism that occurred. Um, there were times when I have uh, myself confronted racism from people uh, where I've been, where people have used some insensitive language around me and I've had to deal with uh, with those things uh, from so, time to
0: time. So, and, and that's in a church setting?
1: Yes, in a church setting, correct. And
0: and, and uh, was this um, a, a minor uh, um, issue of words, or was it a far more significant? Without asking you to say the word.
1: Yes, uh, where the N word has been used, that is correct.
0: Okay. Well, um, uh, So Roy, you've, you taught first year Bowdoin students Mm -hmm. um, uh, and on a a course on racism for a lot of years. Um, I did, yes. uh, Why was it important to you and was it important for the students and and why? Whether it was by example, or it's, a, it's a long time. Uh, well, why why did you want to teach that class to this?
1: Well, I yes, I, I taught a course which literally was entitled racism for about 24 years at Bowdoin. And another course that I taught for a shorter period of time called Overcoming Racism. And in both cases, these courses were of immense importance to me because they were Preparing the next generation, now I can say next generations, at least two, uh, for dealing with this issue of racism uh, and being coming more aware of it as it took place, sometimes invisibly to my students because they didn't experience uh, this racism as white privileged students. Uh, there also was uh, an opportunity to align with students of color. Uh, it wasn't just black students that I aligned with, I also did aligned with native students, Asian students, um, and, and Latinx students around the issues. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that all of my students understood was how pervasive racism was in this country and that it was not just directed at black people. Um, and I also, in later years, uh, determined to make sure that they understood how it became manifested against different groups in different ways and how that was related to the history of slavery uh, for Black people, genocide for Native Americans, uh, for Asian Americans, often who were uh, considered uh, in different ways by different groups of people um, who built uh, Chinese particularly had a large part in building the railroads in this country, so, and so on.
0: Um, so what kind of impact and really thinking about lasting impact mm-hmm. uh, do you think you're teaching had? I mean, I, I teach and I teach on on issues uh, about violence and race and, uh, and I know that not everybody connects with it in the same way, but what's, what's your sense? Was it, uh, what, did, what did they take away?
1: Well, I, I think that, that many, if not most of the students took away a greater appreciation of how profound uh, racism is in this country and how it perpetu- is perpetuated over time. Um, I think they became greater, uh, more aware of things that they have uh, in common, particularly s- students of color, and some of our white students from Maine, which was a unusual and interesting phenomenon that took place uh, in my classes. That they began to understand some of the significance of their common experiences that didn't seem. Th- not be related to racism on the surface, but uh, were related to the feelings that they carried away as in some way being treated as less than in this country. Uh, And at times, even in their classrooms, uh, depending on
0: uh,
1: what was going on. Um, I thought that many of the students uh, began to align with each other and become allies in a way that hadn't happened before. Uh, it was also an, an opportunity to uh, bring forces together. in and, and, and late in more recent times, I've, I've seen a lot of this taking place on the campus, and it's been:
0: quite did, did, hard you, did you ever um, hear from a student um, a, year, a year or years after who had been in your class?
1: Well, that has happened for sure. Uh, I have said, I've heard from students who said that, that being in my class was for, for them a life-changing event. You know, uh, some,
0: I, I think being a teacher, it's um, it, it can't get better than that.
1: It, it can. And I, I want to just say, coming back to the other part of my, you reminded me that I recently received a letter from someone in, in a church that I served at where, I don't know, racism necessarily was the predominant thing, but where it certainly was an issue uh, apologizing for some insensitivity that occurred 15 years ago. Um, well, that was quite heartwarming as well.
0: That's, that's, and it's impressive. Um, Jasmine, what have you um, learned from your, grandfather um, about race, about dealing with race? Um,
2: um, I've learned that it's not like a setback or something to overcome. I think it's just something that enriches your life. I think that's what I've learned from him.
0: That race is?
2: Or being Black, I guess, is okay. an enriching thing. Um, so it's th- something to overcome.
0: A, a, a sense of pride. Yeah. Um, uh, And and how would you describe that pride you have? Um,
2: I think looking at our family, I think we were talking about it now, it's four generations of PhDs um, in a black family, which is very impressive. And then also seeing how my grandfather, and my father and my great-grandmother all dealt with and were outspoken about racism and bettering society and bettering the next generation's chances within society is inspiring.
0: Uh, Roy, any thoughts after hearing that?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I, I'm inspired by my granddaughter and her courage in speaking out and doing the things that she's been doing that you heard described and some other things that uh, probably haven't been said today. Um, it's just wonderful. I know my mother would be so proud of you, Jasmine.
2: Thank you.
1: Um, it's a, it's an amazing thing. And similarly for my son, uh, having taken up the, the gauntlet as it were, uh, and running with it and- um, And by son, you're, you're talking about Jasmine's I'm, father. I'm, I am talking about Damani. He's my only son, so yes. <laughs> Uh, my daughters have done their part, too, but I'm really speaking about Damani right now. I would say also just, you know, I was interested in Demani in Jasmine's comments earlier about her father taking and her and mother uh, in Germany. Uh, Damani used to, because I went to visit them and him even before it was the them uh, in Germany, and he would take me all over the place and explain some of the same things that Jasmine has talked to you about. This morning. And he liked to take me into East Germany, where the, where the, uh, <laughs> the what I would call the Nazis, but the neo Nazis uh, were very much present and tell me all about the history of Germany. So I'm really excited uh, and proud that both he and Jasmine have continued on um, with that mission, not just in the United States, but in Germany as well, in fighting against racism.
0: Um, uh, really nice to hear that from uh, both of you. So you you mentioned your um, uh, Roy, your mother, and uh, your and Jasmine, your great grandmother. Um, uh, either one of you can start. W- what? Um, uh, which Jasmine, did you actually? How, how much uh, t- time did you spend with your great grandmother, Royce?
2: When I well, when I was little, I think we went to visit her a lot, and she came okay. to my first birthday.
0: Uh, but for you, uh, are there are there things that you've probably gained from hearing from others about her? Uh, I,
2: well, I think the thing that I mentioned earlier in pride and also inspiration, um, just from a feeling of what's possible and what, how, how, if you set your mind to something or how if there's something that needs to be changed, like one person can make a difference and one person can change it.
0: And, and Roy, uh, what have um, you, taken away or learned from your remarkable mother?
1: Well, I would say first and foremost, much along the lines that Jasmine just talked about, that my mother was a fighter and that she dedicated her life to making a difference and particularly on the racial forefront. Um, As I've already said, she was very active in the civil rights movement and active in a number of different, ways to create greater awareness. And her one of the things that I was most impressed by my mother growing up and, and later on as well in life was that she not only uh, fought the good fight herself, but she was very supportive of young women, Black women in particular, uh, as they struggle with the, the oppression and results of racism in their lives and would encourage them and would encourage young uh, men and women uh, to always succeed and do their best uh, in life. Uh, Would talk about, you know, having to work twice as hard in order to overcome some of the incidences of racism that people have to confront. Uh, So she was a real example, I think, exemplar if even if you will, of, of, um, fighting the good fight in terms of racism.
0: And uh, I would could add uh, not a small thing to have been the person uh, who was instrumental in creating Head Start.
1: Right. Thank you for adding that. Indeed, she was the chief of education for the Committee on Education and Labor, U.S. House of Representatives under Adam Clayton Powell for about six years. And that's where she wrote yeah. that legislation. So thank you. I want to also add something about my father, it was where the partridge comes from, the connection between uh, jasmine and me, in a sense, uh, our forebear, who, uh, as I said earlier, went to Tuskegee, but also uh, was very active in working in black institutions of higher learning and championing the cause of racial awareness as well.
0: Thank you. You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Roy Partridge and his oldest granddaughter, Jasmine Bowes Cartridge. Roy has taught and also advocated on issues relating to race at Bowdoin College for 28 years. He's an Episcopal priest and a social worker. Jasmine, who is graduating from high school this year, in Ann Arbor, Michigan has also advocated on issues of race and other issues. We are talking about race from each of their perspectives, 56 years apart in age. Both Roy and Jasmine are people of color. Um, Jasmine, uh, y- you're, you're going to, and if I got it right to Barnard, Barnard College, uh, which is part of the universe Columbia University, which is where your great grandmother uh, went to. I'm just curious about: um, do, do you think about her and other women before you? Uh, what's uh, or, or is your achievement just? I mean, you achieve because you're really smart and you're and you work hard, but. What's the connection,
2: if there is one? Yeah, I was definitely inspired by her about Columbia. And I remember when we went to visit the campus, both Barnard and Columbia, we, um, we, look, we went to the teacher's college and we were talking about how she went there. And I think it's really incredible. And I guess also the fact that she was able to go there, as my grandfather already said, speaks to the kind of institution that it is, that she was able to attend when she did and be successful or yeah, attend when she did um and then yeah i guess bar i chose barnard because their whole mission is to empower women um and when i was when i was going through the process someone told me that to find like a place where the education is centered around you and i feel like barnard is that place for me
0: yeah from um just talking to you today it it strikes me you don't need a lot of instruction about being a powerful woman um, I know there's a lot to read and talk about, but um uh, so changing the to a awful subject but an important one. How did the killing by a police officer of George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis affect you? And Jasmine, let me, uh, well, either one of you can can go first. Since neither of you are gonna say, Jasmine, uh, why don't you go first, and then Roy? Well, I,
2: I can go. Um, yeah. I think I think Papa said it earlier, he said that in the civil rights movement then there is like a lot of tension when these things started being discussed. And I think that happened this time too with the emergence of Black Lives Matter, maybe not to the same degree, but I think as these things were being discussed then there was greater tension as well. I think the incident with the Zoom bombing that I mentioned earlier, that was a result of like a response to Black Lives Matter. Um, And I think There was a lot of uncomfortable, I had a lot of uncomfortable conversations um, with people and I guess everyone was looking for a way to, to be socially aware. And I think some of it seemed a bit superficial, especially for like companies and people making statements and creating like DEI committees. But then I think in the end that um, we are more aware as a society to some extent,
0: uh, Roy, how I mean, I, 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 part of the me just even asking this question is probably the wrong question because because the list of of um, black men, women, and boys who uh, have been shot and killed by a police officer when they were um, did not have a weapon on them um, is long, but uh, but Roy, you can answer this either about uh, George Floyd or more generally, the, the large number. But how, how have you been affected?
1: Well, that's fascinating. As I mentioned earlier, um, I, when I listened to the news this morning, just before we started this broadcast, I heard of an, a, yet another black man telephone, cell phone in hand shot by a police officer with a cam uh, off and I'm just, uh, it, it's stunning how frequently this happens and so George Floyd was uh, a slightly different version of the same kind of uh, killing by a police officer uh, but there was the similar one in Staten Island. So I just, my life is replete with these stories, and um, it's—I don't know what to do with them, <laughs> frankly.
0: And and, and uh, in some way, I think I should have uh, realized that that for George Floyd, this was this was not a shooting. This was right, um, and we we certainly had uh, a man in Baltimore who had. A similar situation, so it it, it wasn't uh, the split moment decision uh, of a police officer. Uh, yeah, this is this is something that went on for a period of time. Um, do you? Um, do either of you think there's a pathway to 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 solve this particular issue, the the issue of of um, unnecessary and sometimes fatal violence by police officers toward
1: well, there's there is a simple solution, but it's it's not going to be followed it seems this, the police cam cameras that many departments require their officers to wear but as I said earlier, they have to be turned on, <laughs> and if they were turned on, I think it would it would help uh People think twice before they uh, act it violently uh, in many cases. But why police requirements don't require that they be on is beyond me. Uh, or if they do, why they don't uh, discipline those who don't turn them on is beyond me. So that would be a very simple solution to helping with this.
0: Uh, there, there, I've seen at least one study on uh, um, Having videos um, that suggested that it it wasn't focusing particularly on on police shootings, it was sort of broader. Was that it didn't really make as much difference as one would mm. would think? But um, but who knows? Um, uh, Jasmine, um, what are you pessimistic, optimistic?
2: I mean, I'm pessimistic, but I think two also simple solutions is one, accountability, that police officers are held accountable when they act illegally, which isn't really happening currently. And then also, I mean, increased training. Like right now, it's easier to be, I mean, the training to become a barber is longer than that to become a police officer. So I think training and education as well.
0: Yeah. In Maine, uh, you need a um a high school diploma and then you go to the police academy and I was talking to somebody yesterday um who uh is really involved in these kind of issues and saying it ought to be the um police officers should go to a four year college um, uh, So I'm just curious, um, we are, uh, I don't have a, uh, well, let me, I'm not sure how much time we have, so let me go to this first. So broadening this out um, from, uh, from how police treat Black people as well as other people of color, um, which, and I'm not trying to minimize it, but there are also, Huge other issues in healthcare, in um, almost every part of society, and for each of you, are you are you optimistic, or are you are uh, are you not that things overall are going to get better in terms of reducing racism and the inequality. Um, I mean, just if we look at the coronavirus, there's um, and healthcare, there's inequality. So, um, Roy, are you do you have a sense of optimism that things are going to get better? You you've I, lived you've lived through a lot of a lot of change.
1: Yes, I have lived through a lot of change, and I would say that uh, I have a guarded sense of optimism. Uh, I grew up with a woman who was born in 1884, so I have experiences all the way back to now two centuries ago um, in terms of racism, and I can say that there has been change. There's been significant change, and I see that change particularly in the current generation, actually between my granddaughter and my son, who have had Uh, significantly greater opportunities than previous generations to advance in society through education and through other opportunities. So that, I can say, clearly has happened. The fact that we have elected a a Black president, which I just didn't think would happen in my lifetime. Now, he elected another president after that, but uh, that set us back in many ways. But uh and that we have a, a vice president who is a uh, vice president elect that is a person of color those those things all make for a great
0: thank future. you jasmine uh, optimistic
2: um i guess i guess i also i'll say i also say i have guarded optimism i think I think that change is hard because when so many people are benefiting from the way that things are right now, then change is going to be hard. But I think, I think things are changing slowly.
0: And Roy, in really just about 30 or 40 seconds, it's not, you could speak much longer to this. What's your hope for, for Jasmine and her, um, and all of the people who um, lack young women, either just her or broadening it out.
1: Yes. Well, certainly my hope for her is there is some of the (laughs) hope for other young women of color, which is that they are able to fly. They're able to achieve what their abilities will allow them to achieve and that they will not find the obstacles that my mother or uh, Jasmine's mother have encountered uh, by virtue of racism.
0: Thank you. And then for um, Jasmine, what are you thankful for, for having uh, Roy as your grandfather?
2: Um, I'm thankful for, like I said, the source of inspiration. and the support as well to be successful.
0: Uh, well, we're, we're coming to the, to the end uh, of this. Um, you both were tremendous. Jasmine, you're gonna do wonderful things in your life. Uh, so thank you both. Uh, you've been listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU radio at 89.9 FM and streaming on the World Wide web. My guests today have been Roy Partridge and his oldest granddaughter, Jasmine Bose cartridge Roy has taught and also advocated on issues relating to race at Bowdoin College for 28 years. He is an Episcopal priest and a social worker. Jasmine, who's a graduate from Is graduating from high school this year in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and also has advocated on issues of race and other issues in her school. We've been talking about race from each of their perspectives, 56 years apart in age. Both Roy and Jasmine are persons of color. Uh, And uh, I think as I have listened to to both of you uh, there's a, a, a level of of energy and purpose that you you both share and I would say oh but it it doesn't it comes from your jasmine from your parents and from and from, uh, from and Roy and other family members and certainly from um, of for both of you as from your grandmother and uh, Uh, I look forward to both of the kind of work that you're going to do that's going to make change. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you.